Hi, my name is Donna Hayes, and welcome to this episode of the Beautiful Beyond Measure series, Inspired Purpose, where my guest today is none other than the beautiful Dr. Deborah Tillman, the CEO and founder of the Happy Home Christian Leadership Academy. Welcome, Deborah. I'd like to welcome Dr. Deborah Tillman to this episode of Inspired Purpose. Thank you so much for joining me. I will give full disclosure for everyone who does not know that Dr. Tillman is my sister. So, I mean, biological blood, same parents. <laughs> she hey, is my sister. And so I am so happy to have my big sis here with me today. Hey, beautiful, how are you? Hello, gorgeous. I am fine. Awesome. I'm going to get through this um, episode without tearing up because, you know, I, I always look up to my big sisters and this is just an amazing opportunity for me to have to sit down and have a conversation with you about what I already know, but I think the world um, at large, even greater than what is already exposed out there because you're such a of a, a big deal in the world of education and um, a sought after speaker and all of those things. But I think that your story, which is integral to this episode of Inspire Purpose and really all episodes of Inspire Purpose is what propelled you um, into your predestined purpose in life. And that story is so powerful. So first, let's talk about it from the beginning. You were born and raised in East Orange, New Jersey to some wonderful parents, James and Lila Washington. And tell me a little bit about how growing up in East Orange was in a two-parent household at the time. Yeah, so hey, Sissy, how are you? Looking beautiful. Um, how was it growing up? So I guess I'll start with, yep, East Orange, New Jersey, born and bred. Uh, mommy and daddy. So for the first 12 years of my life, um, you know, because you're younger. So yes. <laughs> it's just me and Denise for the first yes. six years. Yes. Um, but yeah, no, wonderful childhood. You know, daddy worked his way up from a janitor to be the vice president of an aluminum company. And the president of the aluminum company was, you know, a Jewish guy who wound up being my godfather. Yes. Um, and so from the very beginning, I have had an affinity, obviously. You know, I was a daddy's girl. I know we all say we were. Yeah, um, But right. I was a daddy's girl. Um, and, you know, the one thing about daddy is that he made us all feel special. Yes. yes. And so for the first 12 years, like, I just remember dancing school, being very privileged, piano lessons, um, just living that kind of life. And then three days, I'm, you know the story, but three days before my 12th birthday came home and daddy wasn't there, like mommy and daddy had split up. And for me, you know, in a 12 year old's mind, you don't feel like daddy left mommy. You feel like daddy left me. Yeah. That's how I felt, like daddy left me. Yeah. And so that was pretty hard. And I was just always that kid that wanted to do the best, always, you know, in excellence, yes. uh, just being the best that I could be. But as I got older, I found out that that was more people pleasing, the disease to please. Um, but anyway, it, it served me well when I was young. And so, yeah, when daddy left, I went from straight A's to straight C's. Wow. And um, had it not been for Miss Neils, my sixth grade teacher who pulled me aside and said, you know, I'm going to work with you and every single day for a year. Miss mm -hmm. Neils just had me in her office after hours without getting paid, I'm sure. Wow. And just talk to me. And I tell that story to everybody because she really, I think, changed the trajectory of what my life could have been. Yes. If I had not had the village. And yes. back then we had the village. We knew the corner store man. We had neighbors. We That's knew them. Right. We played outside. We were not on social media. There was no social media. That's right. And so we grew up with that community of people who loved us and cared for us mm -hmm. and really put their fingerprint on us. Yes. And so mommy, um, obviously, when daddy left, I saw the resilience of mommy because she was a stay-at-home mom for yes. 12 years, yes. socialite. Right, and um, right. then had to go back to school, work at night, you know, two and three jobs, 
our older sister, Misha, kind of raised us, stepped in yes, yes. Um, because you were born by then. Right. And yeah, so then life was a little different. But what I remember the most that I think as I reflect on it now being older mm -hmm. is that watching where we were in terms of having the five bedroom house, you know, President's Lane, 14 right. Roosevelt, to right. an apartment where we had to get rid of the dog and all of that. Mommy had to go on welfare. Right. All of that, what I watched from mommy was obviously the resilience, okay, that I took from it that, wow, if we can do this, we can do anything. Like, That's right. you know, we saw that resilience and strength from mommy. Um, but what I really remember is the fact that um, family is everything. Like, mm -hmm. family is everything. You could have all the stuff in the world, right, but at right. the end of the day, if you don't have a good, strong bond with your family, it really means nothing. Um, but I watched how they treated mommy after now, the 12 the, years. The I don't know if you remember that, but remember, we started the dancing school. Okay. We started, like, we boosted them up. All of mommy's yes. friends started Marie Wally Dancing School. Okay. And then when yeah, just mommy- Just out the whole name. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, girl, like we telling the truth on this, right? Right, right. <laughs> I am perfect. Um, so yeah, we started the dancing school. And then I remember the day, because I always say children remember the big things or the devastating things, right? Yes. And yes. so I remember walking into dancing school where we had private lessons and this, that, and the other. For 12 years, we walk in, Misha and I, and... Miss Joyce, who was the secretary, see how much I remember now. Yeah, I was you young. really do, right? And she said, um, you can't come today because your mother didn't pay the bill. Wow. Who does that? And so that experience really reminded me of, wow, the marginalized in our country. And I think that's where I get the heart and the compassion and the empathy mm -hmm. for people who don't have as much. Right. Um, so that even when I started my school, and I know we're fast forwarding, but even when I started my school, I only wanted children who were a part of social services. Right. Because I felt like I was given back for something that people had done to our family when um, daddy left. That's awesome. But before we, like you said, we got a little ahead sure. there, but it's okay. But before we go there, so growing up in this two, this wonderful two-family home, like you said, 14 Roosevelt, East Orange was really a, a thriving um, suburb yeah, um, mm -hmm. uh, where we lived. And I didn't remember as much because, yes, I, w I was a little bit younger. Um, so for me, the majority of my growing up was remembering daddy not being present. So I know that in that alone, we've had two different views um, in terms of relationships, in terms of, of family life, in terms of just everything, because I saw something opposite of what you and Misha saw um, when you all were growing up. But I remember distinctly something that happened also, not just the dancing school incident, but you all shared with me the incident, and I want you to share with um, our viewers, when you went to the grocery store, because that's, mm. that's also going to help us and help people understand later on in our conversation why you do what you do at the grocery store. But we'll, I want you to tell what happened at the grocery store when you were younger. Sure. So yes, um, I already explained that my, you know, our family had to go on welfare. Mm -hmm. And so uh, one day, Misha, thank God she was older. I never wanted her to be older until this grocery store incident. <laughs> but mommy sent right. us with food stamps. Mm. And um, you know, young, you don't know anything about food stamps or anything right. like that. But anyway, we get to the grocery store and um, we're picking out stuff. And mommy gave us a list, okay, she's smart. Mommy gave us the list, right? right. We're kids, right? So we like right. grabbing other stuff. We're like, oh, we could get this, we could get that. The, the Slim Jims. Right, the Slim Jims, whatever, right. whatever we wanted, right? Uh, we got a few things, we didn't overdo it, but we get to the, um, the cashier mm -hmm. and Misha's in front of me, I'm behind her and we're just putting the stuff on the belt. And this girl, um, looks at us and she with the meanest face that you could possibly conjure up she starts like throwing stuff like you can't get this you can't have this this isn't allowed and we're like so i just remember shrinking because just of her tone and yes. her um behavior that she exhibited to like young kids 
right? Yeah. And so she's screaming and hollering and saying what we can't get and this what's not allowed. And I'm just like in awe, like, I don't know what she's talking about. Right. But then as she's like talking to Misha and kind of hollering, I back up. So I really did shrink back. And I'm just right. like, wow, this is like embarrassing. And even though you can't form the words when you're 12 years old or 13 years old, where you're saying, you know, oh, this is embarrassing. This is right. de devastating. This is uh, dehumanizing. Right. You can't really figure out those words. You still know how you feel yeah, and how yeah. they made you feel, right? Mm -hmm. So it's just like Dr. Maya Angelou says, you know, people won't remember what you say, how you said it, but they will always remember how you make them feel. Yes. That day I felt like as tiny as a grasshopper, right? And I kept backing up and backing up until I backed into this woman mm -hmm. and she like kindly just takes me by the arms and gets in front of me mm -hmm. and she gets in the woman's face wow. and she like with the power of God just says, don't you ever in your life talk to anybody like you just talked to them. My don't God. you ever do that. And now you put everything you took off of that belt and you put it back because I'm going to pay for them. Oh, gosh. And Ugh. I, I, you know, I never got the woman's name. Mm -hmm. um, but when she turned around, mm -hmm. I saw the cross hanging from her neck. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and it didn't dawn on me at the moment. But oh. that next Sunday, because, you know, we were raised in church. Right. The next right. Sunday... We're sitting at Mount Olive Baptist, and I, behind the choir stand is the cross. The cross, right. And it right. reminded me of the cross that the lady had around her neck. Mm -hmm. And that is the day that I gave my life to Christ That's because I remembered. I said, I want to be like her when oh I grow up. Praise God. You're making God. me cry already. <laughs> Starting with stories like that. Okay. Yeah, that lady was amazing. Um, and it just, like, reminds me of how you know, anybody could just be a rainbow in somebody's sky. Yes. You know, yes. like we all can be that for somebody else. And that's awesome because it was the start for you even. That was the moment yeah. you gave your life to Christ. And you began your journey in your relationship with him, um, which did nothing but flourish and blossom from that point forward. So now we're at a place where we're, we're, you know, you're in school, Miss Neal took you under her wing and, and you are now, you know, getting better. Um, you are doing um, what you are absolutely capable of doing, getting back to your straight A's and all of those um, things as far as your schoolwork is concerned. And so we are at what? Let's go to high school. So we graduate from Clifford J. Scott High School. What I do know is that- You do know that. Well, <laughs> Well, everything in terms of like um, awards and honors and like, you know, you just got all of the accolades um, and you were really um, saluted in, in, that, in that area of education, which was awesome. You were a debutante. You won that ball, the debutante ball. The Yes, which, which was awesome. I remember oh, I've now, now I can come into where I remember these things happening. And um, all those things were great. And then you apply to go to college and you want to go to one of the HBCUs and you apply to go and get accepted to Fisk. Full scholarship, Fisk University. Why in the world <laughs> did you end up at Wesleyan University? How, how did that, how did that, I, I know the story, but I need you to tell it. Did that happen? Did you get talked out of a full scholarship to the school you wanted to attend? Okay, so now your mother and your sister <laughs> will not remember this, but they did this to me because I will right. never forget. Right. I wanted to go to Fisk. Um, and I knew I wanted to go to Fisk. I was very clear about a few things when I was young. Okay. Um, I knew I would be successful because God, I just felt that God was going to, whatever success meant back then, right. um, or whatever it means now, I knew that God had his hand on my life, that I had a calling um, on my life to do something great. Yes. And so I knew from going to high school where you're surrounded again by the community, you know, Miss Roberts, our every, all of our teachers knew yes. me. Um, and so I knew I liked that sort of community, but then I also was exposed to 
you know, um, going to Stevens Institute of Technology in the yes. summer, being around all kinds of children, you know. So I, you know, I was pretty astute in terms of integration and knowing, and, you know, understanding different cultures and diversity, but I still wanted to go to an African-American school. Right. And so your sister, Misha, my sister, um, when they don't do what we want them to do, they become yours. <laughs> right. right. Exactly. Got you. Um, she doesn't remember the story, but she went to Wesleyan and I don't know what, if she was going out with Felix or who then, but anyway, they made their way to visiting a school in Middletown, Connecticut, which was okay. Wesleyan University. She comes home and I, all I hear, cause you know, you know, your sister, yes. so she comes home and she's like, ma, this school is beautiful. And da, 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 da. she's just talking. And mommy um, and Misha, whoever did it, they applied. I, I did not write one thing on that application. I what? guess Wesleyan, if you, if you knew now, Wesleyan, you would know somebody forged my, <laughs> I never, I never did the essay. Really? I never did. I did not apply to that school. I didn't uh -huh. want to go. But then mommy found out that Peter Brown, uh -huh. who somebody she knew um, from her friends uh -huh. in Mount Vernon, her son was going to Wesleyan. Gotcha. And then remember back then, I mean, this is what you're talking about the 80s and, you know, people were very much into Ivy League, close yes. to Ivy League, the schools that yes. were upper, you know, and historically black schools weren't necessarily, you know, in some people's mind, the places to go. That's right. Um, so anyway, yeah, I winded up getting accepted, really. So then my guidance counselor, she didn't help. Cause she's like, oh, Wesleyan, that is just like, you know, almost right. close up. Okay, so then, yeah, I just kind of got pulled into, again, the disease to please, because for every child, who do you want to please? Yes, your parents, parents, right? Yeah. You, you always want to please your parents. Mm -hmm. And so the grades counted for it, right? The SATs counted for it. So, yes. you know, the higher school, then at the time, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. So, you know, everything kind of was moving. Oh, if you go to this school, it'll get you in. So they, you know, again, that is how I'm wind up at Wesleyan. Okay. Was that the most devastating decision? Yes. Because I often say, you know, once you know God, you know, you have the Holy Spirit inside yes. of you. So you know where God is leading you. But at the time, you know, I was never that kid that spoke up for myself, believe it or not. I know y'all are saying, what you did? No, back then, <laughs> right. I was the middle child, Donna talks <laughs> In your ear off, Misha, a whole other story. Right. Um, so I just kind of was like squeezed in the middle. So I never really, I never really talked. I, okay. you know, if somebody had something to say, come talk to me, but I'm not going to like exert myself. Right. And so that's kind of how I ended up at Wesleyan University. When I say devastating, um, it was a time where I really just, for the first time in my life, saw racism. Right. I mean, yeah, Ku Klux Klan on Foss Hall down on the street where you could actually see them. I did have my own private room, which I don't necessarily know that that was good. I probably needed a roommate okay. because seeing those images and not being able to talk mm -hmm. through that with anybody was really right. hard. Right. Um, huge classrooms with hundreds of people in there. So even if you raised your hand, you weren't getting called on. Right. Right. Um, and it wasn't that kind of community where teachers really pulled you aside. However, I did, and I have to say, they will get kudos until I die, mm -hmm. is um, my dance teacher. Mm -hmm. um, I took dance. Okay. Um, and they were wonderful, husband-wife team. And that's where I was able to like have an outlet. And yes. then I took a drama class, oh. which was, I was in the first breeze of summer, um, yes. which was really good. And those two, believe it or not, African-American teachers mm -hmm. kind of grabbed me. Um, the problem with Wesleyan, not only were, was the racism and putting, you know, pictures on the trees saying, you know, all black people are monkeys. I had never experienced anything like that. Right. And so for me, that was devastating, getting hit in the head in the cafeteria. Right. And the Brown at the time did wind up becoming my boyfriend. Uh -huh. And so he's fighting and I'm in the infirmary. It's just craziness it's going so on. Much. Yeah. Um, and so literally, yeah, my grades were horrible. And, and add to mention the fact that I took political science, calculate, like, all the hard courses, right? Crazy core courses all right. together um, was just a recipe for failure. Right. And so I remember the dean bringing me in and saying, hmm, 
you know, you have like a 1.9 grade point average. I don't, I never even saw a 1.9. I don't even know what that looks what like. That is. <laughs> 1.9 grade point average. And why don't you just think about taking a year off? Now, for anybody else, that was probably that would probably have been devastating. For mm -hmm. me, I was happy. I was right. like, oh, he said the best words ever. Right. And so yeah, I wound up leaving there. Um, and I'm sure disappoint mommy. She probably won't ever say that now, but I know it disappointed her because kids know energy. You know, you mm -hmm. feel energy. Mm -hmm. And I went back home and I knew I wasn't going to sit around. Right. So I went to um, Uppsala College. Right. And obviously, you know, got in and um, then just things flourished again because that was a little bit more diverse. Plus I was home. Um, right. Because Uppsala College is, was in right. East Orange, New Jersey not yes, far from yes. our home even exactly so it was much more comfortable i'm sure much more okay yeah so now you're you're at Uppsala, you end up graduating from there um yeah. with honors as usual right <laughs> well <laughs> um what can, what, can, what can i say right i mean <laughs> but you do that and now here's the point where your life is about to really change for you because you um you always, I mean, everybody in the house knew Deborah wants to be an attorney. This was what you talked about. You, you ate, slept, drank, Perry Mason, all of that stuff. You wanted to be an attorney. So that was the trajectory in which your life was headed. Um, so from Asala, we go to, I know you did some time in um, London, England at Oxford. You took a, a, I think you was there for, you were there for a summer, correct? Jurisprudence, mm -hmm. and then you uh, come home, come back, and then you are now at Seton Hall you, uh, Law School. So you stay at Seton Hall for what a year? Not even. Uh, yes, it was a year at okay. Seton Hall, and then you go to the prestigious because here we go again, right? Oh my gosh, Georgetown, Georgetown University Law um, School, and you're there, and now you are. Um, taking those classes, and here's where things for you start to change. So yes. explain to us, because here's the part I told her, I, full disclosure, everyone, I told my sissy that there was something I did not know about her. Um, and in your um, bio, you said you got, you ended up getting kicked out of Georgetown. I was like, what? Wait, I thought this was all voluntary. Nobody told the younger sister, okay? <laughs> Why? What happened? Um, well, let's back up. So I'm at Seton Hall. And, well, first of all, let's talk about a little bit about how that whole thing happened, because I think okay. it's important for people to understand that when you are not in alignment with your purpose of what God wants you to be doing, That's right. then all hell is going to break loose. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I was very much into, you know, that whole theory of, law, 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 but I think the whole law thing came about, but just because I like Perry Mason. I loved Perry Mason. I love gotcha. how it ended. I love how he always was the winner. Right. And um, and then once people in the family started saying, oh, that's the lawyer, oh, that's the lawyer in her, that's the oh, lawyer in her. Okay. It then begins to, you take on that identity of, you know, oh, wow, I guess that's what I am. Because if people right. call you that long enough, that's what you believe. Yes. that you are unless you are comfortable enough with your own self to say that's not what I am. Gotcha. So it literally took Seton Hall, didn't like it, knew I didn't like it then. I was like, tech, torts, like, and then, and then back then, you know, we, we would always go through the cases, Plessy versus Ferguson, Brown right. and I was like, this is crazy. I don't want to be a prosecutor. I don't want right. to be. So I knew then that I didn't want to be that. Wow. Um, yeah, it was crazy. Um, but then again, still disease to please mm -hmm. and didn't really want to be at home. Gotcha. Never really was that, you know, that person that always wanted to be at home. Not, right. not that mommy did anything. It's just oh, that right. I, I wanted to be out on my own. And so I said, let me apply to um, Georgetown Law School. Mm -hmm. So I applied to Georgetown Law School and plagiarized a name on it like a uh what was it it was uh i was supposed to do a recommendation or something some grades and i wrote somebody's name saying that they were the ones who did the yeah no for real just i mean true transparency okay um and wrote it and then got in of course i get in and um 
I'm doing actually pretty good. I'm getting great, good grades, but I still, my heart does not want to be in law school. Got you. So then there was this program that, cause Jocelyn and I were, were there. There was this program that we, they said, you know, y'all are just so good and da, 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 apply for this other program. And that's when all hell broke loose, where they looked at the records and was like, that doesn't look right. It looks like somebody copied this, that, and the other. Uh, yeah. So we that's get called okay. in and they're like, uh, yeah, no, this isn't good. Like you right. can't do this. Like right. y'all are getting kicked out. Wow. And, um, yeah, so that's, that's how that happened. But again, what people think is the most devastating thing, the thing that you never feel like you could talk about right. is the thing that really frees you. Yes. If you will. Yes. You're so right. I was actually free because Finally. had I had the mouth and the courage and the boldness mm -hmm. to say, I don't really want to be here. Right. would have not led me to doing something that was that I knew was wrong right right, right. Um, and doing it for reasons other than what God would have wanted me to do right and so and so yeah left left uh, Georgetown Law School and then since I was already in DC and, and your older sister and my sister Misha was here mm -hmm. I was like okay let me just stay because I kind of like DC area right. And so I wind up staying, getting an apartment, um, actually staying with her for a while and then getting an apartment. But then I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? Well, right. I had already majored in political science, business administration, and I was really good at accounting. And so I got a job at um, USTA, which was an accountant organization, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. did really well there. And then a job, I met Elise. Mm -hmm. um, Zeppelin's got mommy yes. and um, wind up going, she said, oh, there's a staff accountant job. And I was like, well, you know, I've only been doing this for about two years. I don't know right. if I'm going to get this at a big engineering company. I'm only 28 years old. Right. Um, making a lot of money back then for, you know, 28-year-old. 28-year-old, right. Exactly. And so she said, apply. So I applied and literally got the job as head staff accountant for the big engineering company, Mr. Tull, Jackson and Tull. And so, right. And worked there, then met... Um, James, in the midst of that, I met my husband in the midst of that because as I was going to law school, he right. was working at Georgetown and he kept carrying my books to the bus station because <laughs> right. I didn't have a car. Right. And I was like, who is this guy? I'm leaving right. every day and he's right. like trying to carry my books. And um, so, you know, I didn't give him time of day. You know, he was asking him to take me out to dinner. I was like, no, 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 no. Right. And then finally after a year, I let him cook for me. Okay. Um, so fast forward. I'm at the accounting firm, mm -hmm. and then James and I get together. We wind up getting married. Right. And then having Zeppelin. Right. And that's another turning point. Now, that's, where the, we, yeah. that's the major turning point. Yeah, that, that is another turning point. Right. That because yeah. now my nephew was born. Zeppelin is yes. born. And you are still working at Jackson and Tull. Um, you all are living in Virginia at the time, right? And... Uh, you now have to find a care, uh, someone to care for him. Uh, I don't like to call them babysitters, but you know, um, a child care provider, provider right? Mm -hmm. For him um, in order to go back to work. So you do that. And here's where I know it, it really affected all of us because I knew the pain that you went through. Um, first of all, being a new mommy, having to entrust your child to someone that you know or don't you know, um, depending on who you find, right? If it's somebody that you, you know, and you kind of, we kind of lean in that direction, but some you, you really, you're not that familiar with a whole gang load of folk down there, right? Um, you have your core friends, you have, you know, the people that you work with. So then a lot of times we get th things based on referrals and all of that stuff. So you finally, how did you get, let me ask the question. I want to know how the first childcare provider came into play. Did you get a referral from someone? or was it someone you knew? So, yes. Um, the first the first child care provider, tried to forget them, but anyway, the first child care provider came right. from the USTA. At USTA, when I was an accountant, um, uh -huh. the young lady that worked alongside of me, her mom was a child care provider in the home. So she always told me, you know, oh, my mom's watching children. And I never thought about it because I wasn't married, then didn't have Zeppelin, none right. of that. Right. But then once I had that, I was like, oh my gosh, I got to go back to work. You know, they only give you like six to eight weeks right. off. So right. you, I had to go back to work. And I was like, oh my gosh, we're interviewing people, didn't like any of them. And then I remembered 
the girl from USDA who told me about her mom. And I was like, is she still watching? And she was like, oh yeah, she still does that. And didn't, you know, just beefed her up. I met her and you know, they all put on the face when you meet them, perfect, you know, just perfect daycare, in-home childcare center Uh um, until probably the second day in. So the first day I dropped Zeppelin off, I don't have to go to work. She thinks I do, but I just need to test because again, that lawyer mind in me, I still right. have a little bit of that where I'm like, hmm, got to be a little bit of a detective. So I'm going to mm-hmm. drop them off and then I'm going to come back at 12 o'clock to make sure everything's okay. Gotcha. So I drop them off and by this time, uh, it's, it's kind of wintry, like November, and he has on a cold because he was born in June. Mm-hmm. So July, August, September is like the end of September going into October. So it's kind of cool. He has right. on a coat in a car seat. Drop him off, you know, tell the lady, because I'm very ODC, right? I'm like, uh, this is the bottle. This is the time. This is the, you know, I'm just like really giving her everything. Right. I come back at 12 o'clock, drop him off at 8, come back at 12, four hours later. Zeppelin's still in the car seat. My gosh. With his coat on, sweating profusely. Mm, mm, My gosh. I pick up my child. And we walk out. And you leave. <laughs> so crazy. So you have, so that's experience number one that's horrible. Right. Um, not only do you have one experience, not only do you have two, three, four, no, not even just five, not six, you have seven horrible experiences with persons watching your child. That exactly. has got to be devastating. And I mean, honestly, honestly, Debbie, I don't even know how you really continue to even take him anywhere for even seven of them, right? Because it's just like, it seemed like they got worse each time. So Um, I think long suffering, to answer your question, I think long suffering, I've always been that kid. Remember, right? You don't lose yourself. I've always been that kid, that long suffering kid, right? Getting your ears pierced, not crying, Denise screaming to the top of her lungs. As soon as the thing went in, she's like, ah, like all, you know, like she's going to kill somebody, um, screaming like somebody's killing her. Right. And then me got the same ears pierced, right? Mm-hmm. Hurt just like hers hurt, right? Right. But no suffering, right? What do I do? I hold it in because wow. I'm used to holding it in, right? I wait till I get in the car. Imagine all this time, got to walk to the car, get in the car, lock yes. the car, and then I'm Man. screaming. So I've always been that person to be yeah. able to endure a lot of stuff okay. before it's enough is enough, right? Before I get like Fannie Lou Hamer, sick and tired of being sick and tired, right? Sick and tired. So yeah, so that's exactly what happened. So the number seven was very, um, I think that was very purpose driven as well. Just very purposeful. Number being, number seven being the number of completion. Yes. Like, you know, and it had to make me so so done, so upset, so devastated. It had to be that bad because God knows who you are. That's right. You know, he knows the numbers of hair on our head, right? So he That's knows, right. he knew me better yeah. than me. So he knew it was going to take me seven times before I said enough is enough and not even ever want to turn back and say, I made the wrong decision. Right. So, so I love the fact that it was seven. Um, as I was going through it, yes, painful. Yes, giving the wrong breast breast milk, yes, painful. Bruises on his back, yes, painful. But the seventh was when I walk in, and by this time I'm devastated, crazy, like, where's my child? Where's my child? And the lady's out in the hallway. And then I open the back room, and he's in a bassinet, laying on his back. You know the story. Yeah. The bottle's in his mouth. The wall, the ledge of the wall is propping up the bottle, and he's sucking mm-hmm. air. Oh and the doctor had been asking me, you know, why is his stomach getting so big? Like, why is this air? That's the way they were feeding him, just like lying there, right? No love, no nurturing, no protection, no safety. That had to happen before I fell to my knees. Because remember, for the first six times, I was saying, why me? Why is this happening? And I think that's important for your viewers to know. Oftentimes, yes. we ask the wrong questions to God. We're like, that's why right. me? Uh, you keep asking why me? He's showing you why you, okay? It, well, <laughs> but you're not getting it. That's and it wasn't awesome. until the seventh where I stopped asking that question. And right. I just fell to my knees, dropped everything, held my hands up and said, I surrender. And what is it you want me to do? 
And that was the question. That's powerful because you're right. You ask why me, because we we often do. Like, why is this happening to me? You know, why do I have to endure this? Why am I going through this? You know, and it does get frustrating. But I think what's so awesome was what you just said. And that after that seventh time, you not only changed the question, but you surrendered. And that's the place where God always wants us to get to, a place of surrender. Lord, okay, really, there is nothing else for me to do. There's nothing else I can do. There's nothing else I'm even willing to try to do except you. I'm willing to try to you. you now, like for real. Give it to you. What can I do? And this is, here's here again, wonderful, right? Another sort of um, analogy with the, the number seven, right? Because you hear those words and there's seven words. Seven words, seven still they? small words. What were they? I want you to do it better. <laughs> Look at God. Quit my job the next day. And it's because I heard it so clearly Yes. Like people always like, was it a voice? Did you right. hear? It? I heard it in my spirit so clearly. I want you. This is why. This is what I want you to do. Were you asking me the question? What yes. what do you want me to do? Yes. I yes. want you to do it be- very clear. Very, yes. Almost like a Moses moment. Like awesome. a burning bush. Now, that was a Moses moment, right? Because, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome because you heard it so clear. And what I love is that again, I I don't think we can we can um, minimize the point of the question, right? And um, just for just one minute, I wanna share really quickly, like even when I was called into ministry, remember I shared this with you the day that I came to pick you up that I was gonna do my trial sermon and we were going to the church. Um, I told you this, well, not even going to the church, it was afterward when a, a Reverend Domino came into the back office where you and I were sitting. And she said, I had to come back in here. I was in my car about to leave, but I had to come back in because God told me I had to tell you this. She said, the answer to your question is an unequivocal yes. And then what did I do? I bawled like crazy. You're like, what is going on? What are you crying for? Because nobody knew that that morning I was willing to back out. I wanted to make sure it was really God and not me. Right, so I asked God in the bathroom, nobody home, all in my own spirit to myself, me and God, did you call me to preach your word? And then she came in and said, the answer to your question. So that's why God had to get you to that place of asking the right question so that he can give you that answer. Correct. That's awesome. Yeah, you say it so perfectly, that is exactly, that is exactly it. And um, and again, being so sure that it was God, that I didn't have to question myself, right? Yes. He's the captain, right? He gave me the answer. And so because he gave me the answer, there was no turning back. So even though, you know, um, my ex-husband now okay. says, um, uh, excuse me, how are we paying the rent? Like, right. you, just quit your, you just quit your big time job. I'm like, uh, yeah, well, God told me to, so God going to work it out. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. God told you to. I love that. Yeah. God told you to. And, and 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 the really great part going forward from there now is not only did, I think not only did you hear the answer to the question, but I think this was, and correct me if I'm wrong, but is this not maybe the first time you really heard what now you are free to walk in what I have always been preparing you for. Cause did you really, did you know, even in, even though you didn't want to be an attorney, but did you know it was childcare that you were supposed to go into? Did you know no the education? So now was this like the awakening of finding out, okay, this must be the thing. Not yet. Believe it or not. Yeah, not yet, believe it or not. Um, Yes, I heard, I want you to do it better. So then I saw the school, because he Mm -hmm. said, you're going to have a school. And so I said, okay, well, now, one thing about me is that when God says something, like, I can be obedient real quick. Right. And so I said, okay, God said a school, so I'm going to start writing 
employee handbooks with no employees. I'm gonna start writing parent handbooks with no, because why? Because when preparation meets opportunity, That's success right. shows up. So get going, right? There God you know. showed you. So even though you don't see it, walk in faith. And so as I'm doing that 10 months in, um, yeah, I get the call from the manager of the building right. of a daycare center that had been in business for 20 years. And he said, you know, they lost a child. The overhead helicopters had to come in and wipe the lady's money out. Um, she can't ha have, she can't take anything with her that's inside the school. The director there wants to have the school, but we heard about you in your apartment. Would you like the school? So let's stop right there because then at that point, once you quit your job, what you actually started to do was you had Zeppelin and then what? You started to advertise or? Yeah, no, not yet. So what I did was I had Zeppelin, thank God. And then James brought up his mother, Grandma Tillman, because, you know, I was like, Lord, nobody else could watch this child but a family member. Right. And so um, I said, okay, so God said, do this. How do I do it? So I'm going to start in my house because I knew if they started in their houses and they were horrible. I know I could do much better than them, right? Right, That's right. just common sense. And so I found out about an early childhood provider course that you had to take. Back then, it was only a week long. Okay. You had to take a course. Then they would come to your apartment and see if you were like childproof. Okay. So whilst I did that for a week, while I did that for a week, Grandma Tillman watched Zeppelin right gotcha. in the apartment mm -hmm. and so that was easy once i finished with that they came in they said oh you could take children well for the first few weeks you know it was just me and zeppelin right. zeppelin and i and then his best friend um that we kind of had met through you know playing around in the apartment complex mm -hmm. was jordan chamberlain oh. and so jordan's mom was like oh no i'm coming to you you know so it was zeppelin and jordan chamberlain and then um, Jordan now is a doctor. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, wow. And, that's um, awesome. Yeah, he's great. Um, we follow our kids. Uh, that's a whole nother story. But anyway, yeah. So Jordan and Zeppelin. And then I started getting more children. But you can only have four okay. um, under with just one provider. And okay. then I had Grandma Tillman that I was training to be the assistant. So we had about six children by the time the 10th month came in in a wait list. People were like trying to get in and I was like, no, I can't break the rules. You know, did that one time, ain't trying to do that again. Right, right. <laughs> no breaking no rules ever again. Right. So, um, so yeah, 10 months in, he gives me a call and says, the center is yours. And you remember the story. I called yes. y'all and said, I walked into the school and had to pull toys apart because it was so nasty. And I was like, unless I could sleep here, my kids are not going to be here. Because that's one thing mommy gave us is that, that fingerprint, that imprint of excellence. Yes. To always do, no matter what you were doing, in excellence. And That's to right. be the very best and highest version of yourself. That's right. And so, yeah, y'all all came down, um, helped me paint, clean up the stuff. Up, yeah. And yeah, we moved in. That was October of 1993. I didn't move into the school, even though it was available, until March of 1994. 94. Yes, and so you just celebrated. How many years are we at now? This twenty six years. Twenty six years. Twenty six. It is twenty six years. Yeah, just past March, right? Yeah. March fourth. Awesome. That's that's a that's that's phenomenal, and that story is is amazing. So now you're you watch the children at home. You get the space in the building. Now you have the space in the building, and do you now yet still know that this is your call, that now are you walking in that yet? Because what I do remember is your, now I'm putting them on you, your family was like, when are you going to go to law school? When Lawyer. are you going to go to law school? Never. <laughs> I'm like, y'all don't get it. Like, it's just not going to happen. Um, but they were still looking for that from you, yep. but you stuck to your guns you, you finally 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 um but again that's because you know i i knew what god said to me mm -hmm. i knew that those seven painful experiences didn't happen for no reason mm -hmm. so at least i knew i was in alignment with the will of god now still i don't know what all god had gotcha. but i was in alignment and i knew that part so nobody was going to take me off the alignment See, the problem with law school is that I was never in alignment. Gotcha. So it never worked. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, so yeah, now I'm in alignment and, and I'm working and now we're getting nationally accredited, getting all these like magazine 
articles written up out of nowhere because we never marketed ourselves. It just happened. Um, it just happened. It just happened. <laughs> I mean, because that's that's how um, awesome our God is, is that when you are in alignment with what he has for you, then it just works. Even in the mid, even in the midst of any trial and tribulation, because we know you've had those with um, trying to find the right fit of, um, of 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 teachers that you hired and that sort of thing. You know, we know that you you went through your challenges there, and yeah, but it still was successful. It still worked, no matter what anybody um, could have even ever tried to do. Whenever you can't come against God. You can. Plan, right? So it doesn't matter. So you have actually now, 26 years, have found the best group of teachers, I think, that you've ever had. Like, these teachers are awesome. Um, and the staff is working. Everything is great. You all do everything in excellence. Um, I'm excited about, um, and I can't wait to see the graduation. I mean, you all go all out graduations, um, caps, gowns, I mean, just the whole night. And it's so amazing because I like the fact that they start off that way. And so then now they have something to look forward to. Um, unfortunately, I will say this right here. A lot of times, um, some places that they go afterward don't always do things in excellence. So I'm not saying it is so, but it may be that you'll be continuing education. I mean, you'll go from first grade to 12th grade to... <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. You I don't know. know. <laughs> I have no know. idea where the Lord will have me to go, but wherever he sends but me, I will go. I will, go. <laughs> I will follow. That's right. And so, um, let me ask this question. Um, one of the things you said was uh, back when you were dealing with, um, I'm going to take you back a little bit, back when the law school era was going on, you made this comment in your bio where you uh, used the, um, the line from Hamlet, to thine old self be true. Do you feel like today you're there fully? Yes. And I think something happens to you. Uh, well, me, it happened to me when I turned 50. Okay. I think something happens uh, to people. They have an epiphany at some point in their lives. And for me, it was, it was my 50th birthday um, about, you know, six, seven years ago where I was like, you know what? I can't live for anybody other than the Lord and what I know to be true in my spirit. You know what I mean? And so you're going to lose some friends along the way. You're going to lose some people along the way. But as long as you stay true to yourself, that's all that really matters. And so, um, so yeah, I, I do want to say that, you know, we didn't talk about this, but I'm glad you brought up the point about, you know, even though you could be in alignment with your purpose, that mm -hmm. stuff could still be going on. And right. some people, I think that's when they get discouraged. Yes. Because, you know, don't forget, I had 17 years of a licensing inspector that used to stay here for six, seven hours when you're really only supposed to stay for one and a half, two at the most, looking for something to be can wrong. Because she no, was the one that said, you can never have a school. Can we call her name? No, <laughs> Martha Pauly, we can call okay. her name. She, you know, it's in my book. She knows who she is. Okay. Um, but we came from the school of Lila Washington where... Yes. When people tell you you can't do something, that's not the good thing that's for the Washington not a good girls. Thing to tell us. Oh yeah, don't tell us we can't do something because then we just pull full throttle and just right. do it. Yeah. So, what year were you in um, operating now? At the time, it was called Happy Home Child Learning Center. I know that the name has changed now to Happy Home Christian Leadership Academy, um, but. When you were there, tell us, how did you get to become America's super nanny? <laughs> how did that even happen? <laughs> the Lord. Short Always, answer is the right? Lord. <laughs> Always, short answer, right? Oh, coming back from a, it was 17 years in, 2010, 2011. So we were coming back from vacation, and Zeppelin by this time is like, you know, almost high school, middle school, whatever. Mm -hmm. And he pulls up my computer 
Mm-hmm. And he's like, Ma, you know, you got an email from Lifetime. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He deleted it because they probably sent it to everybody. And he says, uh, I don't think so because it says, Dear Deborah. And I'm like, oh, okay, read it. <laughs> so they were reading it. And it said, um, you know, Joe Frost is retiring, the old super nanny. We're looking for a homegrown America super nanny. And um, we've already interviewed 500 people. We have not found her yet. If you're interested, call us on a Wednesday. By this time, it's Monday. Okay. So I prayed about it because that is just what we do. We pray right. about things. And then I said, okay, well, I don't feel anything. I feel like I can do that. So I pick up the phone and I call the woman. I'm talking to her on the phone. And she says, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. She's just like going crazy, right? And she's like, and you did that? And you did that? She's asking me about the childcare, mm-hmm. not understanding that you know how we are. Right. Um, when people need us, they need us, right? So I used to be home in 1995, 96, 97, 98, people calling right. me, I can't get Johnny in the bathtub. Right. And I would be like, okay, this is what you do, do this. So I was already telling parents what to do yes. for 17 years, right? Yes. Acting like super nanny, but without the title. Right. And or so the lady's like getting me off the phone and she's like, okay, I want you to do a Skype interview on Friday. I am not that person. So I was like, Zeppelin, how you do Skype? What is that about? Right, Put right. Put me up to Skype. I'm on a Skype call with them. They flew, they flew me out to California on a Sunday. So this happened on Friday. Flew me out to California on Sunday. Mm-hmm. I'm in a home on Monday with a cameraman. They never tell me what's going on until he says, okay, you can get out. Go into that house right there. I'll be behind you and fix her problems. You have two hours to fix her problems and I'm going to take you. Wow. Wow. And so I go in. She has two boys. She's all over the place. We create a schedule. Um, she says the four-year-old is not potty trained, but honestly, mm-hmm. 30 minutes in, I say, oh, Michael, you have to go to the potty. Let's try to go. And I'm taking the car to the potty and doing all right, this stuff. Right, right. He's like following me. <laughs> Goes in. The cameraman can't go in, but we hear him going to the potty. Right. And she's like, oh, he's potty trained. And I'm like, oh, Lord, is it that right. easy? Like, no, lady. All you had right. to do is ask him. So exactly. get out of there. There was some kind of um, sibling rivalry stuff that I, you know, solved because again, I was already prepared from the school of solving problems. And so I come out of there and they, sh- I guess they showed the tape and then I meet, now we're down to two people because I didn't know some other people were around. Okay. Maybe like five in, in California, but then now we're down to two the last day. So it's me and this Asian girl. Okay. And so I'm in there and they say, you know, Deborah. Uh, the lady comes to visit me the night before they make the decision. And she says, you're going to meet the lifetime executives. You're going to meet more. Um, it was a uh, shed media, the production company yes. go in, but I have to tell you, they're worried about one thing about you. And I'm like, what? And they're like, well, you know, you're going to be going into homes where people are smoking and people are going to be cursing and mm. they just, you know, they know you're a Christian and mm. they just are a little afraid. Like, are you going to be able to handle that? And then that's when it like hit me an epiphany, like really do people not know who Jesus was? Come on. <laughs> <And> <laughs> we sat down with. You right. not know who he was and who right. he hung out with and how right. he was so not judgmental. He right. was so not the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Right. Like, and so I just went, I said, okay, well, if that's what they're worried about. I'll answer it when I get in the room. So I'm in the right. room, this big table, 12 people, I'm there. By this time, uh, Barack Obama, our President Barack Obama is in office. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we as a country, we already were built up in our lives with self-awareness and, you know, our parents affirming us. Yes. And so now I'm in a room with all Caucasian people, but a president that is African-American. <laughs> And so I already feel like God has told me that this is, you're going to get it. That's right. And so they're talking to me and they're saying all kinds of things. And I'm just so real because again, I'm true to myself. I'm not hiding anything. I'm telling them all the stories that happened in my life, whatever they're asking. And I'm telling them what this is about. Yes. This this journey was never about me. That's right. This journey was never about me. The reason why I have that burning desire and calling in my heart is because the Lord put it there. And so for every parent that came to see me and was crying saying, I went through five childcare centers. I went through six, they were abusing my kid. I wouldn't have to be phony. That's why God had to have me go through seven because every single time somebody came in and said, this happened to me, they couldn't beat me out of my story. That happened to me too and more. 
And so I was able to deal with them and able to empathize with them. But by the time I got to Lifetime and finished answering their questions, they were like, you, oh my gosh, oh my. So I knew leaving out of there, shaking everybody, people were hugging me and like, oh my God, we love her, we love her. Um, and then I told them, I said, you need an African-American super nanny. All right. Like I literally said it. All I right. said, you got, you know, let's, let's just talk about the elephant in the room. You yes. need one. That's and right. who would be that confident to say something? It was only because the Lord had already told me. So I leave out of there and I get a call three hours later and they said, you are America's <laughs> All right. And that so was the production companies. One thing I do have to say that was another God moment mm -hmm. was when I asked the casting director, I said, how did you find me? Like I never interviewed, how did I get the email? Cause I was still worried, like trying to figure out how did they know me? Right. I know I had been written up in Essence and Ebony and all these magazines, but how did you find me? And she said, honestly, I said, yeah. She said, I'm African-American. I'm the only ca casting um, director that's African-American in this department. Mm -hmm. I keep an African-American uh, nanny. And wow. she said, your name came up. I went home and keyed in the exact same words that she said. What happened? My name didn't come up. Look at God. Right, because I'm saying, who I honestly would not have associated you with a nanny, if you will, right? Um, right. And to Google you, to see, I don't, only now does it come up because you are American. Right. <laughs> but um, prior to that, no way. So this, no is, way. this is the whole reason why I love doing and having these, doing the show and having these conversations, because I really think it is something that we need that the country, the country really needs to hear um, that God is still working, um, God is still speaking, and that we all have a purpose that is so much greater than ourselves. And it has really nothing to do with us. We're just the vessel that he's going to use, but that what we do is going to bless somebody else. So even when I talk about what you talked about earlier, when I mentioned the grocery store scene, when you were younger, it brings joy to my heart to see every year how you at Happy Home take a group and you go to supermarkets and you stand in line and you have the balloons and you pay persons bill, you know, their bill there. And you do it just because out of the kindness of your heart. I bring that up only because I want to ask the question. Do you think it stemmed from that incident when you were younger? Like, I want to make people feel good in this space because of that horrible way I felt even then. And that that woman helped make me feel a little bit better. And I need to be able to give that back to somebody else. I definitely think that everything in our lives, and particularly since I'm talking about being my life, was a catalyst for where I am now. Every right. experience, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything matters. Right. Um, and so that's why I probably really love, you know, Romans 8.28. All things really do work together um, for the good of those who love the Lord and who are called yes. according to the purpose. Because even though you're going through the valleys and the trials and the tribulations and the stress and the trauma, if you just stay, stay in God's hand mm -hmm. and have his hand in your hand, he will never lead you in a, in a place that, you know, in the wilderness. He won't lead you down a wrong road, right? Um, and that's why it's so important for me as I'm working with parents and, and families, because I, I didn't even think of working with parents and families. How did that come about, right? I was like, daycares, like, let me have 20,000 daycares. And then I get into the home of America's super nanny and find out, not even the kids, it's the parents. Parents, right. So now I gotta go help them. Let me write a book for parents. So, and so my whole life is kind of, that's why I never wanna put God in a box. That's right. Or say that, I don't even wanna say out of my mouth, oh, this is what I want, because I really want, I don't know what the desires of my heart even are. You know so what I'm saying? Like, I want God to put those in me yes. and then me to have be walking in that. Yes. So so the future of, of, of Deborah Tillman, only God knows, but trust and know, I'm believing exceedingly abundantly above. Oh, I know that's oh. right. <laughs> then I can ask or even imagine 
Yes. So um, you are now, and um, we, our time here is just about up, but I think your story was so powerful and that people needed to hear it. Um, but I don't, I would be remiss if we left here and did not mention all of the other things that you are um, actively engaged in. Mm -hmm. So you're no longer doing America's Super Nanny, but again, I think even that had its time and its space because it needed to, as you just said, reveal to you that parents needed you. And so you are now a part of the John Maxwell faculty team to, mm -hmm. um, you are, you've created this whole program curriculum for parents and not just for parents domestically, but internationally. So you are global here. And um, John Maxwell is, is one of those names that I think all of us know. And so how did you um, briefly tell us, how did you even get a, to be a part of his faculty? Oh gosh, how much time you have? Okay, so quickly, <laughs> the fast and dirty part of it. Um, I was at a point um, in my life where, again, you know, that you always hear that William Hensley poem about, you know, no matter how straight the gate or charge the punishment stroll. I am the master of my fate. Oh, I am yes. the captain of my soul. Yes, okay, yeah, no, yes. not with me. Yeah, I, it sounds good at graduations, but me, I'm like, no, God is the captain right. of you, right? <laughs> and so I remember saying to God, okay, what is what is it you want me to do in this season? Like, what is it you want me to do? And literally, again, another one of those things, John Maxwell. I'm like, John Maxwell, like he's older, like what? I don't know what's going on. Like I read right. his books throughout all of high school, like Tony Robbins, but I'm not thinking John Maxwell. Right. So then I'm looking in the magazine and I'm like Gideon. I'm like, okay, God, if it's John Maxwell, I need three fleeces by the end of the day. Literally, I say that to God, right? And so it's so funny because I'm turning through a magazine and I find out that there's a big international Maxwell conference. Wow. And I'm like, okay, yeah, you funny. Um, <laughs> wow. And then, but not thinking anything of it. Right. So then I'm driving to work, you know, happy home. Miss Cortez um, isn't here yet, but I have an assistant and she's pulling down something and the book falls down and it says success, winning by success, something by John Maxwell. Oh, Maxwell. I'm like, you gotta be kidding. Oh, you no. asked for it. <laughs> and then number two, and then I get home at night. Zeppelin went to um, Georgetown University, but sometimes he used to come home on the weekends, you know, the, uh, the good and bad of your children living so close to college, okay, right. come home with all the clothes to wash. Right. Anyway, he's there in the kitchen, out of the blue, out of the blue, I, and he will tell you the story. He says, Mom, have you ever thought about working with John Maxwell? That was it. That was the that three. Was <laughs> that was the third. Um, so I signed up for the International Maxwell Conference, went to the conference, saw who was like the president of it at the time, and it was Paul Martinelli. I said, I need to know him. So I didn't know why I needed to know him, but we had to catch a plane, and my girlfriend and I ran to his workshop, and I said, I'm in here for a reason, but I don't know what the reason is. Finally, because we had to leave. Right before we, I, like, I had my suitcase in my hand. I was like, oh, right. shit, I don't know why I'm here. He's still right. talking. I can't get to talk to him. Right. And I'm starting to leave, and he says, so if you want to reach me, it's not even over yet. Out of the blue, wow. he said, so if you want to reach me, I'm Paul yeah. Martinelli at .net, right? right? right. So, so I'm quickly writing it down, right? I forget about this until six months later. Are you serious? I, I think about, six months later. I, I don't even think about him anymore. Wow. Six months later, I'm like, oh, man, somebody keeps telling me franchise, franchise. So I was thinking about franchise and happy home. Right. And so I said, oh, I know who could do that. You know, John Maxwell has 7,000 members, 160 countries. Let me call Paul Martinelli. So I'm looking for his number, pick up the phone, and, and call his secretary. Well, it's this much money to talk to him for three hours. Wow. I'm like, okay, I got it. Thank you, Jesus. So pick up the phone, and literally I'm talking to this man three hours straight, and you hear silence, like nothing, a thing could drop. At the end of the conversation, he's like, I have been stalking you. I have watched every Super Nanny show. I have watched, I've looked on your website and seen everything you've done. We're going to do something together. Now, mind you, I'm talking to him about franchise. He's talking something else, but I don't know what it is. Three months later, I get an email. The stars have a line. John wants you to come to Atlanta, Georgia. We're going to meet at the Ritz-Carlton. They want to have dinner with you and sit down and discuss how you can become the president of the Parenting and Family Certification Program 
for over 150 countries, 160 oh countries, God. whatever. Globally, Global. your certification. Look That's how that happened. Congratulations. I know I've already Thank told you. you, but to God be the glory for his Nothing leading like you, that. his guiding you, and more importantly, for your obedience. Amen. To doing what it is that he is showing you to do for not, I'm, I'm going to go here, not for you, but for the rest <laughs> of the world who obviously is in need of, of you and what God is pouring into you to pour out to us. So let everybody know um, how they can reach you. Um, and then I have one final question for you, but let everybody know how they can reach you. Sure. So website is www.debral, my grandmother's name, Louise, debralltillman.com. Um, Instagram, I am Debra L. Tillman. Okay, don't pick the other one because that's not me. I am Debra L. Tillman, and um, I'm on every sort of platform, LinkedIn, everything, Facebook, Debra Tillman, my public page and private page. Um, you'll see Steve Harvey and me on one, and then you'll see me on the other. And so, Twitter? yeah, they can reach out to me for that. Twitter? Twitter, same, Debra L. Tillman. Debra L. Tillman, okay, awesome. Debra L. Tillman. So thank you so much, Sissy, for taking time out of your very busy schedule to sit down and have this conversation with me. I I know somebody is like now ready to run full speed ahead <laughs> on what God has given them already. They just haven't acted on it. Um, and so what would you say to this phrase? I am Deborah inspired by blank with a purpose for blank. Okay. I am Deborah, inspired by love with a purpose to glorify God and working with children, parents, and families. That's awesome. Thank you so much. You bless my You are so very welcome, little sissy. <laughs> you are beautiful. I love you. And God you. glory for the light that shines from you to this great big world that we have. And it does not yet appear the wonderful things that God is going to continue to do you. with you for the rest of us. I love with all of us. <laughs> all right. Have a good one. Thank Bye, you. Sissy. You're welcome. <laughs> Take care. Love you. Love you. Bye.